హలో లిస్నర్స్ వెల్కమ్ టు ద థర్డ్ ఎపిసోడ్ ఆఫ్ అవుట్ ఆఫ్ ద బాక్స్ టాక్స్ ఫ్రమ్ యునైటెడ్ వే ఆఫ్ చెన్నై టుడే వీ హ్యావ్ విత్ అస్ ఆర్తి మధుసూదన్ ద ఫౌండర్ ఆఫ్ గవర్నెన్స్ కౌంట్స్ అండ్ ఇనిషియేటివ్ దట్ హెల్ప్స్ నాన్ ప్రాఫిట్ ఆర్గనైజేషన్స్ ఇన్ ఎన్హాన్సింగ్ దట్ బోర్డ్స్ ఎఫెక్టివ్నెస్ బై ఐడెంటిఫైంగ్ పర్టినెంట్ బోర్డ్ రిలేటెడ్ ఛాలెంజెస్ అండ్ రికమెండింగ్ బెస్ట్ ప్రాక్టీసెస్ షీ ఈస్ ఎ క్యూరేటర్ ఆఫ్ ద ఇనిషియేటివ్ ఉమెన్ ఇన్ బోర్డ్ ఇన్ అసోసియేషన్ విత్ ఐఎస్డిఎం ఢిల్లీ అండ్ దసరా ఇన్ దిస్ కెపాసిటీ షీ హెస్ వర్క్ విత్ సెవరల్ ఇండియన్ అండ్ ఇంటర్నేషనల్ ఆర్గనైజేషన్స్ Aarti is also a passionate advocate of volunteering and to her involvement in Whiteboard and iVolunteer program she brings experienced corporate professionals to offer strategic guidance to non-profits pro bono Aarti is also an active volunteer in Dhan Utsav she is an alumna of PISS in Mumbai and Nimhans in Bangalore Hello Aarti welcome to Out of the Box Talks we are super excited to talk to you today Hi thank you so much for having me it's a delight to be here What inspired you to concentrate on optimizing the board of development sector? I started off with the issue of governance uh, very very many years ago so more than 2025 years ago. I started out really because I was in one of my first jobs asked to minute the board meetings that were being uh, conducted at the organization and uh, I would have been about 25 or 26 years old at the time I think. and it occurred to me that the role that the people in that room uh, were playing was not really optimal and they could have done so much more given who they were uh, but the organization didn't seem to have a way to either inspire or encourage the members around the table to be playing that role so these were like very very uh, solid people both from the sector and outside moving forward you know similar experience with another organization where i used to participate in just minuting the board meetings but those were not the days of you know recordings like this and um we didn't have technology to aid us to record some of these minutes and often it would the chief executive or another board member would invite me to just help with um documentation and again my, the first thought that would occur to me would be that okay here's a group of really really bright and smart people and are they giving the best that they possibly can that really set the intent and the aspiration to try and see if one could leverage the commitment that people were bringing already to the sector at the board level but at that point there was really nothing in india that you know sort of helped uh, to deepen this understanding i happened to meet a man called mari kalsho who is one of my earliest mentors he used to run an organization called mari kalsho consulting and i think it was just serendipity and i started working with him and you know one of those days when we were chatting he said what is it that really really uh, inspires you and i said you know i would love to see if there's a way to make boards of non-profit organizations be more effective and be more aware of the potential that they bring and uh, i think the universe really conspires to make some of this happen for you uh, the uh, there was a meeting with a man called mark sidel who then used to be at ford I met him at Murray's house. He made it possible for me to go to BoardSource in the US to try and understand a little bit more about non-profit governance and then the rest is history. So I've always come back and tried to uh, you know work with organizations and founders helping them understand the role of the board and how that can be better. What is the composition of board and what are the responsibilities of its various members? So I I look at the board as a, a group of people that is that has come together to add value to the organization you must understand that 
the non-profit sector is governed by different legal mandates. So there's the role of the legal board, which is very clear in what the law requires of it, which is to fulfill fiduciary responsibilities and statutory compliance. Um, increasingly, I think there is a role for advisory boards. I prefer to call them advisory councils to play. Uh, the role of the board is an evolving one. So the fiduciary and the compliance bit is something that is stagnant and uh, not stagnant. It, it's something that is required. It's mandatory. And it will always be uh, a role that the board will need to play. Uh, but the role of governance, which sort of can include everything else, is very dependent on two or three factors. Uh, one is the life stage of the organization. So founder-driven or founder-led organizations will need a very different kind of role for the board to play at different stages of the organization's growth. Um, more professionally run organizations, meaning whether a professional CEOs, will need the board to play a very different role. Organizations that are board-led or whether entire, uh, you know, the, all the founders are on the board will play a very different role. A lot of this is dependent on uh, when, at what point in time, what is expected of the board to be doing. But broadly, I would say that over and above the statutory and the uh, fiduciary responsibilities, boards are likely to be effective if they play the following roles. One is complete oversight of uh, the executive, whoever it is. Right? I mean, are they doing... Uh, is the management delivering on what it's supposed to deliver as far as mission accomplishment is concerned? Uh, in putting into the strategy of the organization and having a really good grip of how this organization is planning to achieve its goals. Uh, definitely contributing to the resource mobilization. I don't like to call it fundraising, it's a bad word. But, uh, you know, are boards able to contribute to the resource mobilization of the organization? But lastly, I would say a good board is one that helps the executive, the founder or the CEO in the manner that is sought. And so, you know, I often joke uh, with people who come to me and say, you know, will you help us uh, figure out what the role of the board should be? And I often say that if the CEO or the founder says they want a group of singing monkeys that will help them, then we should try and see if that is made possible. So helping in the manner sought, I would say, is, uh, you know, my summary of how a board can help or what the, the role that it can play. So, Hathi, I believe you have worked with a lot of organizations and their boards. Can you provide some notable instances of boards' accomplishments? Several. Uh, so, there are many different ways in which, you know, I've seen boards support the organization. And the biggest value add from the eyes of the, you know, management is the board's ability to evangelize the cause and the organization itself, right? So, when you have a board that's out there, speaking with pride about their association with the organization, it allows for a lot of other people to want to participate uh, in the cause. And, you know, I mean, uh, the more people there are that are driving support to the cause, the greater will be the achievement of the mission. So that's really a very invaluable role that I've seen a lot of board members actually play. Opening their doors and networks to um, enable the greater inflow of support for the organization. So reaching out to, you know, friends and friends of friends and colleagues and so on. So that's that I think both from the point of view of the organization as well as in general is a very, very valuable 
uh, role and uh, boards that have done this well have enabled organizations to really, really grow. Uh, the second really is being available to support the executive or the organization at times of crisis. Right? All organizations will go through at some point uh, of time, you know, some difficulties. And to have a board that has the back of the management is able to support the management, of course, within the legal and the statutory frameworks, um, is a very valuable role that uh, the board can play. The third is, and this is more true for startup organizations, is simply to allow the executive and the team to do their job. Right? Um, so what I call the mistake-making freedom uh, or the entrepreneurial freedom is a, is a role that the board can play while being available to nurture and support uh, the organization. And there are many others, but in my mind, I think, uh, and, you know, these are the three more critical things that I have seen board members being able to provide. So what are some of the good practices or guidelines that you recommend to a board? I think the first and the most important good practice is if you're not able to add value, please get off. Okay, and I find that especially in South Asian cultures, there's a lot of reluctance for people uh, who they feel it's, you know, I've committed to this, so I must sort of stay on, um, right? But if they're not adding value, then they must volunteer to move on. Because I find that, again, this is very cultural, we find it very hard as a society and as a culture to ask people to get off boards, right? Uh, we think it's impolite. We think that, you know, oh, this person helped me at a time that I needed them. How can I now ask them to move on and leave? It will seem ungrateful. Uh, and of course, now it's just very complicated to bring about changes um, on the legal board. But if a board member finds that they're not able to contribute for any reason, they may have lost interest, they may not have the time. Life happens to people, right? Other priorities may have taken over. They simply aren't vested anymore. Then I think the gracious thing to do is to make way for somebody who will be able to add value. It often makes the task of uh, the management a lot simpler if the board member volunteers to move on. That's one good practice. The second is for board members to really look at themselves and say, why did I say yes to this role? And what is it in me that uh, prompted me to raise my hand and say, okay, I will, you know, help. If that is really based on shoulder tapping, okay, I cannot say no to this person because this person is my, you know, my uncle's friend or my, you know, sister's mother-in-law and I couldn't say no to her or him, then that's a very, very unsustainable reason, right? So it's important for board members to really reflect on what am I getting out of this role? It can be anything. It can be camaraderie. It can be the opportunity to meet different kinds of people. It can simply be the opportunity to find purpose. And the third one is really the most important reason, right? So I think encouraging board members to sit down and figure out why did I say yes is, again, good practice. Uh, the fourth is for the board to reflect on its own role once every once in two years, right? What did we do as a board for this organization? Did we really add value? Did we contribute in the manner that it was needed? Uh, you know, did we help or hinder, right? And somehow I find that boards in India do not believe in the nonprofit sector. It's not very common. I haven't heard of many instances where boards will actually believe that it's important for them to sit down and reflect on their own contribution to the organization as a group of people. Individual board members, sure, add value and, you know, have been very helpful and can be very helpful. But as a group, have they sat down and reflected on this or not, right? Um, and there are many other ways in which, you know, 
boards can figure out if uh, they are relevant, they're adding value, uh, you know, they're useful. I would just simply say good practice is to ask the CEO, are we helping you at all or not? Right. That does not presume that because you're on the board that you're automatically very useful, you're not. So Arti, right before we started this podcast, we were speaking about Women on Board Initiative. For our audience, can you, can you shed some light? Yeah, I'm very excited by this. Um, so this is a, about a year and a half old initiative. Um, it is, uh, you know, it's a collaborative effort between uh, me and two other wonderful organizations in the sector. One is the ISDM, uh, which is based out of um, Delhi, and the other is Dasra. I think both will be fairly well known in the sector. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be able to work with both of these wonderful organizations. The intent really is to see, can we get a hundred women, uh, corporate professionals to find purpose and to be inspired and do that by offering their time and services as advisory board members or nonprofit boards. It really came about on the uh, on the heels of a survey that I'd done where more than a hundred organizations that we reached out to said that they were looking for advisory board members in three or four very specific areas. Right? So one was on technology, finance, uh, marketing, HR, that kind of thing. Right? And my belief, and this is, uh, it may sound like a biased view, but I think women are able to create far more magic in the world than men have ever been able to do so. Uh, if they've been given the opportunity to do that, right? Uh, also, I think when you have women uh, who, you know, move from the corporate sector experience into a nonprofit board level um, experience, they are able to take that experience back to their corporate jobs as well. And hopefully are able to do the job in the corporate sector with far greater empathy and compassion and so on. So the Women on Boards initiative is really to get 100 people on. Uh, we are on the heels of completing a third cohort, which means we would have done 75. Uh, and, you know, by the end of the year, we will get to that 100. Uh, I think it is going to be a powerhouse of uh, opportunity for the nonprofit sector. So, yeah, delighted that they've been, it's been possible to make that happen. So, Aarti, we were also told that you you extensively volunteer a lot. So, we just wanted to know from you what makes contributing to the community so essential for each and every one of us. Uh, the simple response to that is it's just good for you. Uh, you know, just like you would do running every day or you would exercise or you would eat the right kind of food, uh, you would interact with the right kind of people, volunteering is good for you. Whether it adds great social value or not, is a secondary outcome, in my view. Of course it does. I mean, if you're, you know, teaching a child or you're reading to the elderly or you're cleaning a beach or, you know, doing whatever else in the community that you're doing, it adds value there. But the primary reason that everybody must volunteer is simply that it's good for you. I have not seen any unhappy volunteers in my life, okay? Uh, so that's, I think, the biggest reason to volunteer. But... I think it's important for people who are doing this and people who want to do this also to reflect on the experience. And that is something we don't do enough of, right? We often treat volunteering as unpaid labor. And sure it is. Uh, it is unpaid and it should be unpaid. Um, it should also be unconditional in that sense. Uh, but I think that if you interact with volunteers and enable them to reflect on 
what that joy has been for them and how have they learned or grown or developed, then you reinforce that entire experience for them, right? So it's like, you know, I often say it as if you've had a great meal at a new Thai restaurant, right? When you're describing the food to somebody else, you're reliving that experience in your head, right? And therefore you talk about it with great passion and say, oh, you must go here. The food is delicious. You know, it's the ambience is great and so on. And just the manner in which you communicate that because you've had that great experience and you've reflected on it will inspire five other people to, you know, make a booking for the next weekend and say, okay, I want to go to that Thai restaurant myself, right? So I think that focusing on the self in volunteering is the key reason why we must all do it. Can you describe your first volunteering experience and what keeps the fire for volunteering burning inside you? So I, you know, my earliest recollection of volunteering was I think when I was in first or second grade, um, when I was very fortunate to, and we all are, right, very fortunate to be born to the parents that uh, we are. Uh, and so I, you know, I was one of the lucky uh, people that had a wonderful family that nurtured and just by example, uh, nurtured the the spirit of doing good for others around you. And having said that, also immensely grateful for the schools that my parents chose to put both my sister and me in. Because back in the day, it wasn't a choice that we were given. We all just had to do service. And it was, I'm emphasizing the word service, right? It was about doing something for someone around you with no expectation whatsoever. And that it it helped in character building, right? So I think when I was in grade one or grade, yeah, maybe it was grade one in, in, a, in a school in Routkiller, we were all asked every week, one class used to be asked to bring a meal, an extra meal from home to serve to the poor outside. And these were essentially people who would sit outside the school, uh, the church of the school and uh, were all uh, patients of leprosy. And uh, you had to bring uh, an extra Dabba. And I think that one day that, that our class was supposed to bring, my mother forgot to bring, to send it to through me. And the principal, you know, who would lead this uh, pro initiative uh, every day with a different class, she said, okay, Aarti, you have your Dabba, give that. Right? And for the very first time, uh, you know, as a, as a five, six-year-old, you experience hunger. Right, and you realize. I mean, it's all very well to talk about. Oh, you know, there are so many hungry people outside, and uh, so when people fast, for example, you do it out of choice, right? Uh, but for the people who are really hungry out there, they have no choice. They don't like to be hungry, and so as a five-year-old, I experienced what that was, right? And uh, I think if you did that in this age, parents would take to school, and the teacher would be put in jail. But uh, it would be counted as abuse. But it was great learning for me. Uh, because her view was, you know, you'll go back home and your parents would be so guilty that they would stuff your face with food. But the person who's waiting outside is expecting this and cannot go disappointed, right? So that, I think, was my first experience of, I don't know if it was volunteering, but just engaging with somebody different outside. Um, I've always tried to do, you know, things that many of us do now. But I think, like I said, reflecting on why we do that is important. So... You know, I used to teach um, English to the son of my house help. I used to live with my grandparents and this boy would come home and uh, I would, you know, speak to him in English and my Tamil never used to be very good back then. 
So he would help me in Tamil. And I think for me, and I didn't know this at that time, uh, it used to be a it used to be a relationship of equality. It wasn't that I know this and this kid doesn't know this and I'm doing something great. But it was an exchange. And you know, I reflect back on it now and I think that maybe it nurtured the thoughts of equity, right? And uh, the fact that when you have the time to give or the money to give, you have the privilege to do so and you have the opportunity to do so, right? Uh, but equally, the other person has the grace to receive it. And uh, and that's really, really important. So um, how can you bring greater equity in volunteering? I think my other seeds were nurtured there. Um, but, you know, honestly, I don't, I can't think of specific structured ways in which I volunteer. I usually like to believe that I give 30-40% of my time every month to organizations and individuals in different ways. Um, a lot of it, I don't even want to call it volunteering, but it's just talking. And I love talking. So <laughs> so it's just that. But um, the longest stint I had was with an organization that uh, where I volunteered for many years, for almost 10 years. And this was, I think, between you know, 2000 and 2009 or 10, uh, where I ended up, uh, and you know, the organization had many people who were volunteering in very senior positions. So a lot of their SBU heads were all volunteers. So that was, that was I think, the most structured volunteering uh, effort of mine. But yeah, but I mean, I like to do things, uh, you know, quite randomly and unstructuredly. So when an opportunity presents itself, I feel like doing something, I'll do it. But I would say roughly about 30% of my time, I do try and get. What are some of the biggest volunteer-driven initiatives that are close to your heart? So, um, there are many that I admire uh, and, uh, you know, I have had the opportunity to watch them closely. But the one that I've been involved in is uh, Dan Utsav, which is the, it used to be called the Joy of Giving Week. Uh, and, you know, I had the opportunity to be involved in evangelizing the festival right from the year that it began. And to me, it's really one of the volunteering, large-scale volunteering initiatives that I think that I feel very, very passionate about. I wish I could do more. I haven't done as much in the past couple of years, but uh, I think it's it's it has been great because you know it's just grown very organically, right? And I'll, I'll share a nice uh, story. I was with my daughter in Kodaikanal, and we were waiting outside the Kodaikanal Public School. I think we were waiting for somebody to pick us up or something, and there was a teacher who was. Inside the, from inside the school, walked out and she was waiting with us. And, you know, I got talking to her and she said, um, well, I must tell you, because you're involved in the space and the sector and so on, um, have you heard of this really nice initiative called Danutsav? So um, I said, yes, I've heard of it. And then she said, you know, it's fantastic. Every year our children collect uh, books and we go and give it out in shelter homes and you she, she said you must participate in it i said yeah sure i mean it would be really wonderful to do so and i think the biggest takeaway for me was that now the festival there are a lot of there are a lot more people that are celebrating the festival you don't need to know who who is doing it really or what is happening just the fact that lots are picking it up on their own shows that um, you know it's growing and it's entirely volunteer driven and run so 
Since you're a volunteer a lot, uh, I would also want to know in what areas is volunteering most crucial? What measures can people take to narrow the gap? I think in our country, there is no dearth of opportunity. And I would hesitate to say that one cause or one area is more important than the other is. I think the ways in which a volunteer can find themselves adding value is to really reflect on what keeps them awake at night. Now I can show you one example. Right? I am somebody that uh, even if I had the time, I some causes will I will not volunteer there. Right. So I'm not this unconditional, you know, use my time in whatever way that you want kind of person. And there are some things that I'm more bothered by. For example, I don't like going out there and picking up rubbish. I have a huge problem with it. Should there be rubbish on the streets? No. Will I have will I go and pick it up? I won't. Okay. I find it uh, hard to pick up dirt and muck. But there is one cause that really, really bugs me and has bugged me, and that is the fact that people allow the dog poop to be on the streets. Um, so very recently in the community where I live, you know, I managed to create a little bit of noise, but there was a really very strong group of people that came forward and, you know, we're doing some things to now make sure that citizens are walking their dogs, don't leave the poop on the roof on the streets, right? So I think it's important to see. So the question that I would ask uh, somebody who says I have the time and I can volunteer is two things, right? What keeps you awake at night? What are you really, really bothered by? Okay, And what can you therefore be the part of a solution for? So you can say, for example, I'm, I'm really bothered by the war uh, in Ukraine and Russia. And sure, I mean, that's a good thing to be bothered by. Not a good thing. It's a good thing to be bothered by. But are you going to be able to do something about it? Are you willing to do something about it? Right. So pick the cause that you align with the most and that bothers you the most. Pick the cause on the basis of what are you willing to do about it. It cannot be somebody else's problem, right? Uh, and commit to listening and learning before you jump into acting on it. I mean, there are, my belief is there is no new idea. If, if, you, if you've thought of something and you think it's new, you can bet there'll be 20 other people who would have thought about it, maybe even tried it. So I think listen, learn. And, uh, you know, people who know me well will, will sort of smile when I say this because I have no patience at all. So I have huge action impulse. I will think of something, I'll just jump and do it. And I, I know that it may not be the best way to start, but but ask around and see where you can add value. What are some of the major activities that you did during the COVID time? How did you manage to mobilize masses to volunteer during COVID? So COVID was a time that, you know, affected many of us in very many different ways and we won't go there. But for me, you know, I thought that I was really lucky to have, uh, you know, A, not contracted it. None of my very close family members, uh, you know, struggled with it. Of course, one or two people did have it, but it wasn't too serious. Um, and I thought that this was an opportunity to try and create something positive, if possible, uh, in that time for a few people who were, you know, stuck at home. So just for fun and really because... One organization said that they wanted some 20, 30 volunteers to help with English. I kicked off an initiative called Let's Teach English. And before I knew it, there were 3,000 people who signed up uh, for it. And this was an initiative that was hugely supported by, you know, Akila and Neha and a bunch of uh, Apurva and a bunch of others. And, you know, I can, there are many, many names I should take. Um, but it was a thought that occurred to me and you know, I shared it on Facebook. I think everybody was on Facebook like for 20 hours at that time. 
uh, so I think this really caught people's eye because very easy to do right it essentially meant you picked up the phone and you called a child and spoke to that child or individual in English twice a week um, and we had a lot of organizations that were also struggling to engage the kids because they were not going to school or uh, you know uh, and were just at home so it worked really well but um, it also petered also once COVID went you know so a lot of lessons learned uh, in terms of you know first ask the child whether the child wants this or not and we don't do enough of that right as adults we think that okay this child needs mentoring this child needs career guidance this child needs spoken English uh, this child needs uh, to be given exposure to you know Chennai and the world around why I've gone and asked the children outside in the fishing community where I live and the child will say all of it in this you know so let me be <laughs> I just want to play <laughs> So it's important when you think of, you know, volunteering, even though you might have this great desire to do it, does the other person on the other side want you to do this or not? Right? So, yeah. So, I mean, I think it was a, it was a nice experience. I made some wonderful friends. And for me, like I say, you know, a lot of the volunteering that I've been part of, is it always comes back to how much joy it's given me and what I have gained uh, from it. I don't know if it's helped somebody or not. Hopefully, you know, it didn't hurt anybody. That much I can tell you. But did it actually help? Doesn't matter. I had great fun. So, in what way does the volunteering in India differ from volunteering outside India? We don't know enough. Okay, I don't think. I think volunteering in the way that we understand it is formal. I want to be. I want to be very clear. So, the formal volunteering by the middle and upper middle income is inadequate. Okay. If I look around my family and friends, how many of the people I know actually volunteer? Very, very few, right? So, and I mean formal volunteering, meaning are they engaged with an organization? Do they do things systematically? So on and so forth, right? I think the communities around us, so the the you know, lower middle income group and the rural communities, they take care of each other very, very well. So if you look at any of our for example, the religious festivals that happen, whether it's a Ganpati or the, you know, the temple, the Tehrikar and all of that stuff, you'll find that lots of people participate and contribute, whether it's cleaning of sweeping the entire church or putting one column outside the temple, all of that is voluntary. But formal volunteering, meaning, you know, systematically saying, okay, every week I will give three hours of my time in the people who have the resources, the means to do it, inadequate in India. We do not have um, a robust mechanism for people to report or measure. There are a lot of organizations I work with, one called I Volunteer. There are others that are trying to do, uh, you know, more around this, but uh, it's not enough. I think that countries outside have done a better job of making the opportunity far more visible. Um, you know, so for example, if you if you look at schools or colleges or communities in the United States or even in the UK, right? Um, you will find that it's something that people at the very least are very aware about. They may or may not do it, but they're very aware about it. If you if you watch Netflix and you watch any of those shows on Netflix, you'll find in some of those serials as well, there is often, you know, um, um, there is often reference to volunteering, you know, non-profit, some soup kitchens, some uh, you know, senior care home and so on and so forth. So I think that we have a very, very, very long way to go uh, before we can say that we are uh, beginning to advocate 
uh, and think seriously about volunteering in the middle class. And I think we're a growing, we're a country with growing prosperity and therefore the opportunities for people to now give back much higher in terms of those that can. Yeah, so we have a long way to go. Aarti, thank you for joining us today. Your insights and expertise on board and volunteering were invaluable. And I'm sure our listeners will enjoy the episode. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, feel free to reach out if I could be of any help to any of the listeners. Happy to do that. Dear listeners, we hope you enjoyed my conversation with Aarti Madhusudanan. To get further acquainted with our initiatives, please follow us on our social media platforms under the name United Way of Chennai. If you are interested in collaborating with us, kindly send an email to partnerships at the rate unitedwaychennai.org. For more enriching conversations, do subscribe to Out of the Box Talks. Our podcast is currently accessible on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Geo7 and Ghana Podcast. This is your host Jevan signing off. See you in the next episode.